Lily, I think we had a problem with the podcast last week. Oh, I don't like the sound of that, Randy. What went wrong? Well, you know, we were chatting with Lucy Spence about making trade-offs, and we didn't actually finish the conversation. We didn't even get halfway through her devilish framework for making better product development decisions. Some might even say that the devil is in the details, hey? But not me. I would never make a terrible joke like that. Oh, I'm glad to hear it, because that would be awful. What's not awful is that Lucy is back this week to finish off the chat, which is a good thing because we had a few more valuable insights in the second half of our talk. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week on the podcast, we talk to the best product people from around the globe. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and discover more. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium content, discounts to our conferences around the world, and training opportunities. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities. There's probably one near you. Okay, so the next letter in the devilish acronym is illustrate or I. The the letter is I, the word is illustrate. Um, And I really like this one because I think often I get sort of stuck in documents and words. And I think especially when you're working remotely, I mean, there are some great kind of collaborative visual tools out there, but it's not as easy to visualize stuff. But tell us more how illustration and visualization can like really help with trade-offs. It's really hard to talk <laughs> to, to kind of talk about illustration when you're just sort of describing it um, rather than actually showing it. It's one of those things that you really <laughs> want to desperately show people. It's like, ah, I can I can sketch this out for you. Um, yeah. But I think um, communicating visually, I think it's quite a good way of um, helping with alignment because you can kind of ask people, where are you at? You know, it's like draw a line and have one thing at one end and something else at the other and get people to indicate where they are. And then you can go, well, I think we're here. And then you can have a kind of conversation of like, how can we get closer? You know, whether it's a performance review with an individual um, kind of going, you know, or, you know, talking to them about their skills, because that's one of the simplest ways to do it. It's like, okay, your communication style, perhaps really good up this end or, you know, needs work down this end. Where do you think you are? Um, and then you can have that kind of conversation. And it's it takes away the a little bit of the heat in those kind of things. So, you know, if you're illustrating kind of, we, we talked before about quality and time, and those things, and those things are kind of connected. So you can sketch out like, this is a timeline. If we want this quality, it's going to take us this long. If we want maybe a little bit less quality, we might be able to ship it at this point in time. And I mean, people go away, do Gantt charts and things like that. Sure, great. Um, do a ton of planning, but actually, you can make it really sort of quite simple. And you know, if you want it in a quarter this is what it's going to take. And if you want it in two quarters, you know, this is probably more of what we can give you. You can do the same sort of thing with scope. And so we can, sketching those things out or any of those kind of clever kind of diagrams, again, two by twos, the the sort of the, the product manager 
um, tools of choice, Venn diagrams and two by twos, like <laughs> just using them to help prompt conversation and take it in a bit of a different direction. Because it's usually, I, I always think it's quite easy for people to indicate where they think you are on a scale, much more so than actually verbalizing it. Mm. Sorry, illustrates a bit of a scary word for someone like me with no artistic talent whatsoever. I mean, I can draw a duck, but not very much else. But I can draw a two by two. So you're a former UX person. You hand draw your your decks when you when you do these beautiful uh, conference talks. So I just want to give confidence back to people like me and everyone else. You're not talking about illustrating to a level of high fidelity, are you? No, I mean. You, you talk about my, you know, hand-drawn slides and stuff. Remember that most of them are stick figures, um, slightly stylistic stick figures, but the majority of my presentations are just stick figures, and they're like three lines or something like that. And I do it on an iPad, and so I rub it out and get and use all of the little tools and things to make it better. I I spent four years at uni learning how to draw, and I'm a terrible drawer. Um, if you saw me actually sketch on a whiteboard, there would be very little difference between what you would produce and what I would produce. Um, and I can barely read what I produce most of the time. So I, I've learned some to, you know, I, I think it's worth kind of investing a little bit of time in actually practicing some of the, you know, practicing so that you're comfortable doing certain little drawings. Like I've got a way of drawing people that means I'm, pretty happy drawing people because it's just a circle with two lines below it that I can generally produce reasonably reliably. Um, You know, there are some things like that of just like actually working on that as a skill set so that you can sort of think about things, building up maybe a Miro board of like those conversations that you're going to have on a regular basis, time versus quality. build yourself a little chart that you can just drag and drop and change the details on it so that you can have that conversation really quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. And because you're going to have that conversation, if you're a product manager, you're going to have that conversation multiple times. So, you know, it's kind of, it's just, it's finding what works for you and finding your own way and style of doing it, but also recognizing that a lot of the conversations we have do repeat. They're not kind of, totally unique so yeah if you can think about them slightly systematically so that you've got an easy way to get there give it a try and one of the two by twos that you mentioned later in the talk um which i thought was really really interesting was this kind of way of monitoring your own your your trade-offs that you've kind of been in charge of and the decisions that you've made to go in one direction or another and then kind of reflect on them and decide, you know, later, would I have still made that decision? Um, I can't remember what the two by two access acts, like what was on yeah. each axis. Um, but so, yeah, tell us more about that. Cause I, I really like that as a way of sort of like self reflection yeah. and self evaluation on the trade-offs that you've kind of managed into the business. So this is something I call my little kind of almost learning log, um, or otherwise, how to feel, how to start feeling bad about decisions you made, you thought were good at the time you made them. Um, uh, and it's it, 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 it's a little two by two. One access is, you know, with a bit of time 
or I guess it's like looking at it over time. And so there's one axis, which is, would you make the same decision again? Or would you make a different decision if you could go back in time? Also, really good to have this just as a tip for like, if you're thinking about doing product manager interviews, having a good case where you can talk about how you'd make a different decision in the past and what you learned and self-reflection is a really, is something that if you can talk about that, well, a lot of product leaders really like that. So that's just a side tip. Um, oh, and, I, I'm sorry, it's, Lucy, it's based on, it. It's would you make the same decision with the information you had then or with the information you had na- have now? Um. A little bit up to you about how you want to use it. Um, Now that you know more about it, how do you think that decision went? And there's a bit of, um, and the other axis just, so we've got same decision, different decision, and then we've got same process, different process. And so you've got kind of, you know, those quadrants of good decision, good process, happy with the way that went, cool. We, you know, we want to learn more from that. We've then got kind of same decision, but different process. And typically what I find that is, is where I like the process has just been quite inefficient. Like maybe I could have got there a lot faster or I could have, or I didn't take everyone with me on the way. So a lot of it's kind of optics and efficiency and whether I went and spoke to the right people and got the right data at the right time or whether I, you know, sat on it myself for too long and cogitated. And then actually there was one person who, you know, enlightened me and I'd spoken to her. 10 other people before I got to that person, that that kind of stuff. So it's sort of efficiency and optics, really, and alignment on the decision in, in that quadrant. The n- next one is where you go different decision, but actually the process was probably pretty good. And so it's like, well, why, what is it there? And it may be that there was some information that you missed. Um, and it's just, you know, what is it about that that actually worked? Was it, a, was it a really efficient? Did everyone end up really aligned? Um, and you just kind of group think got a hold of you and you made a bad decision or, and then there's the final thing of like bad decision or, you know, (laughs) would make a different decision, would use a different process. And that's, you know, I kind of go, you know, those, those are the sort of the high leverage learning areas of like, you know, this is where you're going to level up if you recognize that and, and adapt your behavior and, and think about what you can do differently. And it's interesting how those decisions, like you start mapping them out, because we all think we're making the right decision at the time. Although sometimes, no, actually, that's not true. Sometimes you have to kind of disagree and commit and get on board with the decision. You can map other people's decisions on this and see how it plays out and then wait until you've got enough, um, uh, got enough information to make a good assessment about whether that was the right thing to do and whether you would do something differently and, could you have done something differently at the time? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, what the, the case that I've had recently was looking at something of like, I made what I thought was a good decision at the time. I was quite happy with the process. I got everyone sort of on board and aligned. And then slowly, as I saw how the outcome of that transpired, it sort of moved through various quadrants into, well, actually we got, we, we did the wrong thing and, was the wrong process because the thing that I hadn't done was actually probed more on what was the question behind the question and actually I'd solved the wrong problem and hadn't actually Mm -hmm. addressed the root cause issue of that our leadership team had because it was you know they hadn't 
they hadn't been able to articulate what the real issue was. So you suddenly kind of go, oh, when I thought I solved that problem, I thought I thought I was solving for this thing. But actually there was a lack of trust, which was them telling us to do this because they didn't really trust what they were seeing. But actually by doing that, that wasn't addressing the lack of trust. That's just to give some kind of context on that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's actually clarified that or made that really confusing. (laughs) Hey, listener, do you fancy levelling up your product management skills and are you ready to take that next step in your product career? If you do, you're in luck. Mind the Product runs regular interactive remote product management training workshops where you can dedicate two half days to honing your skills with a small group of product peers. You'll be coached through product challenges by an expert trainer and you'll walk away with frameworks and tools you can use right away. I really like the idea of two individual half days. There's lots of time in between to decompress and process all of the day's light bulb moments. Clever. The Mind the Product Spring training courses are available right now and you can choose from product management foundations, communication and alignment, metrics for product managers and mapping to solve product problems. You can find out more and book your place at mindtheproduct.com slash workshops. So, We've actually skipped a letter, Lucy. We skipped L. We went straight from illustrate to iterate, so we're making it divilge or something. Anyway, let's do the L, which is liberate. Um, So I'm curious what you actually mean by this. What do you... I mean, honestly, I just wanted to draw a genie coming out of a bottle. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I love these sort of... I, I try and put these fun presentations together and then people expect me to talk seriously about them. There was actually, that said, there was still a really good point here about when you're asking for things, be careful about what you ask for. So the genie was actually probably better than the word liberate in this case. But what is the wish and how do you, what is your bad wish? So the kind of, I guess going back to the liberate thing, it's, it's making sure that if you know the outcome that you're going for then kind of sitting back and go if we really really want to achieve this let's forget about the constraints we've currently got what would we need what would need to be true for us to achieve this what would we what would we need to have um and i think when and and i guess the 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 caveat or the the word of warning on this was when everyone thinks about you know actually asking for what you want most people just default to i need more resource because they equate more resource with going faster, being able to do more stuff, all of that kind of thing. And I guess it's, uh, you know, I, I've done this many times. Like, we need more people. We're not going fast enough. And actually, as I've seen what happens there and actually, you know, started to spend more time in senior leadership annual planning cycles, you sort of end up in that place where, you know, annual planning cycle and you've got a 10% growth target or something like that, but you're getting a 20 or 30% headcount increase across the board because everyone's asking for more resource because everyone thinks that that's the way to go faster. Um, And now 
aside from the sort of financial impracticalities of that, let's talk about what actually happens if you do get more resort, you know, you do get more headcount. Well, typically it takes quite a bit of time to recruit them or recruit people. You've then got to onboard them. You've then got to bring them up to speed. You've then got to work through their ideas as well as everyone else's. You've got to keep everyone aligned and you've got a lot more relationships to keep track of. And you'll usually end up with sort of more management layers in there, which is more ideas, more opinions. And, you know, especially if you're bringing in any more product managers, it's like that's magnitudinally more opinions to deal with. And so things don't necessarily go faster. Um, the other thing, you know, the, the thing that I would look at and kind of question most people on is, is your existing team, are the resources you've got currently high performing? If they are not high performing, adding more into that mix is not going to help. You're better off focusing on ensuring that the team that you're working with are high performing. And I guess when I mean high performing, I don't mean like, you know, they have to be world standard, global elite kind of thing, um, because, you know, we're all people. Um, we're not Olympic athletes. We just, you know, but we need to be operating to kind of, you know, within a reasonable, you know, striking distance of our potential. And so it's more like, what do you need to do to get that team to be, you know, as productive as they can be um, and working the way they should be? Once you've got your, once your team is working in that way, sure, add more. But don't add more until you've got there because you're not going to be able to spend the time improving that team's performance and understanding of something and, and, and working collaboratively and creatively together to solve problems if you're off recruiting new people and onboarding them and then the people that they're looking to for guidance who are your existing team aren't really operating at the level that they need to be led to bring other people in. And you just generally what happens is that the standard gets worse over time and you don't actually see the corresponding improvement um, which is really it's, really long way of saying you know nine women can't have a baby in a month um, it's probably apocryphal but i love the story of someone who handed their manager two copies of the book the mythical man month and asked them if they could now read it twice as fast yeah <laughs> Um, you know, what a small, well-aligned team can achieve. And so, you know, interesting kind of interesting asks in this space are kind of things like, actually, if we've got issues with our code base and there are migrations and things like that going on, can we do new projects in a slightly different code base? Can we operate outside of the normal boundaries of processes that, that um, are slowing us down so we can be more experimental? Can we, you know... Can we get the team together and go away for a week so that we can work through this in a really intensive way? You know, there are interesting asks that you can do. You know, can we get some coaching for the team so that everyone can can work more effectively together or whatever it is that, you know, it seems appropriate. I'm focusing very much on the team, but um, kind of just being really careful about going We'll fix this by adding, throwing people at the problem. Yeah. Um, okay, so we we went through iterate, and the next up is stipulate. 
How is this different from disambiguate or validate or illustrate? Oh, this is where, like, we're getting towards the end of devilish. This is where the words got harder. And they all had to end in eight as well. It's like I, I set myself up for a really kind of challenging thing. Um, okay, so the way I think of disambiguate versus validate versus stipulate, disambiguate is sort of peeling back the layers um, and understanding you know, trying to get to that clarity of what are our options and and alignment and all of that sort of stuff. Validate is really like once we've got down to our options and we know what these are, it's then going and having that sanity check and, and seeing how, you know, <laughs> whether we're about to, to make a misstep. In all of this process, though, it's it can be quite easy to you know when you're going through and when you're sort of executing on it you know you make a decision and then you execute on it afterwards what you want to do is make sure that during that kind of execution phase you're not losing sight of those key elements and it's saying these are kind of this is what we're trying to achieve because we've gone through all of this we've probably had lots and lots of conversations and we've making decisions and it's very easy for people to kind of forget why so i've got you know again it goes back to one of these ways of just having a little kind of illustration in your back pocket of going what are the things that we care about you know um and then comparing yourself to kind of competitors what, where are you in the industry on those things? If you, uh, let's think of an example, um, if you're a delivery app, maybe you care about, you know, the breadth of restaurants that you support and maybe you're below or above your competitors there. Maybe that's one of the things that you really, really care about. Maybe you know that actually you're in an area where there aren't that many options and so you know that means that you care slightly less ab about selection maybe maybe you make that decision maybe you care about availability of riders to so that people have got the the fast time and it's sort of plotting out these different dimensions and where you want to be because you can't be the best at everything like Strategy isn't going, we're going to be awesome at everything. Strategy is kind of going, these are the things that we're going to be better at and these are the things that we don't care about as much. Or it's not that we don't care about it as much, but this is where we can match or be slightly worse than because we understand our audience, we understand our segment, and this is where we need to excel. And so we're prepared to pay a bit of a price in these areas. And I mean, ultimately, that's kind of what a strategy is or sort of, you know, where, where you're sort of lining up and going, this is this is the core of what we are. So the, the stipulate is about making sure that's super clear to everyone who's actually executing because it's often, <laughs> it's often easy for that stuff to get a little bit lost. So in other words, you're being extremely clear about the trade-offs that you have to make, which things you're, you're, you're a priority and yeah. which things you're, are less. Okay, makes sense. Okay, we have reached that point in the episode where we ask one last question. And fortunately, we have also reached the last letter of the acronym. And Lily has cleverly 
engineered this so that it's my question to ask this one, which is a challenge because I'm not sure how to pronounce this word. I think it's humanitate or humanitate or what's the right way to say it? Well, I, the question I, is... I, I had to listen to the pronunciation on Google um, and it said humanitate. But my Latin is, well, that's the extent of my Latin, so it's probably very <laughs> poor. Um, but it's essentially Latin for compassion. And and the reason that I, I wanted to end on this was really that I think we've all become very aware of, um, <laughs> I'll say, the cognitive load of work. I think product managers are often kind of quite overwhelmed, often quite frustrated. Um, it's an emotionally hard job. I mean, it's not emotionally hard in the way that, you know, trauma nurses and doctors and things like that are. But it's, it, you know, there, there's a there's a high cognitive load a lot of the time. And when we're making these kind of decisions, every, every, everyone's working. Everyone, every, most of us would probably not be, be choosing to work if we could afford to live without working. Um, and so I, I guess it's just about being kind to people because every time you do make a decision, there is a cost to pay for it. It's probably one of your colleagues who's paying that cost. And, and it might not, be you and so when people do get frustrated and people do push back on things there's usually really good reasons for it um, from their perspective whether that's the right reason for the business maybe not that's why we have to get everyone together but being respectful of different opinions listening to them and being conscious of the fact that people often aren't getting what they care about maybe there's a bug in something that they've been banging on about for years and that's you know particularly problematic for them but for whatever reason it's not going to get fixed it's just you know that sort of thing that just it it can hurt people and so being being mindful of that and being kind about it and actually making sure at least people understand the reasoning why I've certainly found that you know this is that there are times when I have been sufficiently under pressure that I lose sight of the other people um, and so just kind of brush off their concerns and don't necessarily take the time to talk to them about it and realise that actually that was probably, you know, I wasn't making their lives better. <laughs> um, hopefully I wasn't making too much worse, but, you know, we all have those moments of frustration and trying to find, find a healthy path through that for ourselves and our colleagues is, is an important thing. Mm. I'm sure you've probably looked after everyone on those journeys a lot more than you haven't done that. <laughs> um, but that was such a, a great one to end on. Um, and Lucy, it's been so great talking to you. Thank you so much for spending so much time with us. It's um, been lovely. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I would advise everyone to go check out the talk. It is available in the show notes. The link is available in the show notes. And um, yeah, thanks so much for listening and for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I, I have very much enjoyed it. The Product Experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith. And me, Randy Silver. Lou Ron Pratt is our producer and Luke Smith is our editor. 
Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. <laughs>